Please stand for the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 to 3a, 5 to 9, 12 to 24, and 27. Because this is a longer text, the words will be projected on the screen behind me. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, 
and he went away to his own country. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Kelly. If you are just joining us this Sunday, we're in a series in the book of Exodus that we've been calling Out of Darkness into Light, tracking the story of how God hears the cries of his people against real suffering, pain, even genocide, as we talked about in the very first sermon, to come and bring them out of that darkness, not just to go their own way, but to come into the light of relationship with him, to be his people, to be his community, to belong to him, because he has made promises that he is going to keep. We've been looking at this so that we might see the ways that God does that with us as well, that in the midst of our suffering, the midst of our struggles and our hardships, that we might start to look for or look back on ways where God has kept his promises to keep pursuing us, to bring us out of darkness and into light, even if that comes through ways that we'd rather not go through. We see the commitment of God to having his people have what we would want if we knew what he knows. Last time we looked at an unexpected problem the people faced in the wilderness in chapter 17. They were attacked and they weren't expecting to be. We saw how God showed up for them through Moses' simple trust in the ways that God had worked for them in the past and that God had commanded them to write that down because he wanted us to know, all the people that would come forward, that God expects what we don't expect and that he shows up when we face more than we know how to handle. Today, we're going to look not at God saving his people per se, but how he provides for us. How does he do that? How are we meant to be provided for as a community of people, as a free people, as those who belong to God? How are we meant to have our needs met together? The answer is together, that God would meet our needs through each other in part, that, that we're not meant to go it alone in the Christian life as the people of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And to do that, I want to look at two things. First, I want to look at what's too heavy to carry alone. And second, the help for what's so heavy. So what's too heavy to carry alone and the help for what is heavy. Before we do that, I'd ask you to, to bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to fill up our time in his word. God, we know you delight to hear from us, and so we pause to ask you again that, that we might hear from you, that that might be a delight and a joy to us, that your words would have life in them for us, that they would feel like light in the midst of darkness, that they would be freedom in the midst of our captivities, that they would be sight in the midst of our blindness, that they would be warmth in the midst of our coldness, but that most of all, that, that you would be there. So I pray that you would speak this morning in ways that I don't know how. Holy Spirit, would you move in the hearts of all who are here, whether they know you or not, or they might have a sense of the God who was and is and is to come and the community that that God creates. So would you do that for us now by your power? In your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We'll go back through the text a little bit together. If not, there should be some in the pew in front of you. Or you can always just listen along as the church always has to God's Word. But we'll start with what's too heavy to carry alone, uh, particularly for Moses. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who we don't know an intense amount about, comes to meet Moses. Uh, he's heard through some way or another that God has delivered 
his people, possibly just the deliverance from the Amalekites, but it seems like much more than that, that, that when they meet, Moses gets to relate to him all the things that God has been doing since Moses came out of the wilderness with Jethro where he was living. And as an outsider to all that's been going on, Jethro brings in some new things to the community. First, he brings rejoicing, verses 8 and 9, and he brings insight in verses 17 through 23. Uh, he receives the good news of the God who did all these things, verse 8, and he rejoices at that in verse 9, so much so that it says he, he brings an offering, he brings a sacrifice in verse 12. That would be a tangible expression in ancient times, which is also what we do in our offering. It's a tangible expression of gratitude and appreciation for what you have found, saying that what I am giving is not in comparison, not worth anything in comparison with what I've received, that this is nothing for me to give away, that I'm only too glad because of what I have received to say something in response. He brings joy at what God has done, but he also brings a different perspective. He observes Moses at work, and it makes him concerned, and he shares an insight that Moses couldn't see for himself. And often this is what outsiders do in our communities. When you come in for the first time, if you are a visitor right now, you're checking out CTK for the first time, this is some of what you bring into our community. You bring often some new energy, a different experience, a different story, something that brings something that we haven't had or something that we are weary and haven't been able to conjure up in ourselves, or you bring insight, things we weren't able to see before, which is why you are so important here if you are new. Why you are so deeply important is that you fill out things that we would otherwise miss. Your role as a newcomer to this church is not just to come in and assimilate, but to share what you see that we don't see. This is what God gives us in bringing new life into our community. That's why newcomers are so important. You have things to share here that we don't have without you. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but we need your input and gifts as well. We don't want you just to feel like you have to come in and adjust to everything that we do, but that, that you would share what you see and that through you we might grow together, that we might form something greater together. And so what insight then does this outsider Jethro bring to this community? Well, verse 18, the insight that he brings is that Moses' attempt to single-handedly take care of all the needs, all the disputes of the people of God is too heavy for him. It's not good, is what he says. And if we recall the size of Israel, if you go back to chapter 12, it's listed at some 600,000 men coming out of the Exodus, along with women and children. So comfortably in the ancient world, you're estimating easily over a million, maybe double the size of the 600,000. So Moses is single-handedly trying to take care of all the needs of a city two times the size of Boston. This madness, right? It's crazy. No one should do that. No one could do that. It doesn't work. But Moses probably hasn't had the time to lift up his head and think, could there be another way? Moses is probably just doing his best to keep up with what's in front of him. He feels flooded. He feels overwhelmed. But Jethro is able to see something new. Jethro comes in with that new perspective, with different energy. He can see how this will not work, that Moses has to have help both for his sake and for theirs. Because it's actually working against the call of God on Moses' life 
to go it alone here, that doing it this way by himself is actually going to be a problem for his sake, not just for theirs. That's what Jethro is getting at in verse 19, that that unless Moses gets some help, he won't be able to fulfill the call of God. Jethro is saying, do these things and you will represent the people as you feel you are called to do. If you won't do them, you won't represent the people. In other words, in order to do what God is calling him to do, to to lead these people into the light of relationship with God, to represent them before God, he has to have help to do that. He needs to get some leaders to help him or he will burn out. It is too much for one person to take care of all these things. And that means that the call of God on his life was too heavy to do alone. He can't be who God's calling him to be alone. It's going to wear him out. It's going to wear the people out. It wears us out when we try to go it alone. It's not just for Moses to have help. We need help in the things that God has called us to as well. We wear out when we try to go it alone in the Christian life. You probably feel it. It shows up in anxiety, depression, anger. We feel we have no way but to go it alone because that's what's expected of us. That's what I expect of me, that I ought to be able to do this alone. I shouldn't have to ask anyone for help. It's not right to ask anyone for help. It's on me. That's what our individualistic culture tells us, that you better do it for you because no one else is going to do it for you. You are alone. Go it alone. Toughen up. It's essentially what our culture tells us. And we can often, as I have at times, have anxiety, have depression. Not only for those reasons, but we can feel that when we're feeling the weight of trying to do it all on ourselves with no feeling of escape, no possibility of an alternative. You just have to do it alone. Or we get angry. That's the opposite version. If anxiety and depression is feeling trapped and submitting to these things, anger is venting out and refusing to submit to circumstances. There's good anger, but there's also unhealthy anger. When people make mistakes or bring changes that get in the way of what we believe that we have to do, when we believe it all rests on us, even if we would never say that, our actions and our words say that, we make passive-aggressive comments. We manipulate, we try to go around people, try to force things to happen our way. We raise our voice, we push harder for our own way. We assert again and again that it has to be this way. We even use force perhaps. It has to get done, so do what I say or get out of the way. Those things are indicative of trying to go it alone and that's not God's way. Unresolved and unhealthy anger takes a toll on us. It wears us out, not to mention that it hurts others. And as verse 18 says, this is not just going to be a problem for Moses, it's going to wear both of you out. You will all wear out is what the verse says. If not through our melting down on one another in unhealthy anger, then through the people having their needs go unmet. That's what verse 23 is really about, is making sure the needs of the people are met. If Moses listens to the advice of Jethro, the people will have their needs met. That's what it would mean to go back in peace. Things are resolved, they're back in a state of flourishing. If he doesn't do that, 
They won't have their needs met. He may not blow up at them, but he won't help them either, even if he thinks he is. To really help them, this is what Jethro is saying, to really help them, he has to receive help, not just give help. To really help the people, Moses has to not just give help, he has to receive help. And the same is true of us. If we want to help, if we want to be useful and purposeful, we have to include others. We have to receive help if we plan to give help. We don't like that. That's very uncomfortable in our culture to receive kindness, to receive charity, to receive help feels weak. But that is not God's way. We feel the weakness come out in the breakdown that happens when we continue to go it alone, when we dig our heels in into things that make us feel like we have to do it on our own. We suffer anxiety, depression, unhealthy anger, and those around us suffer at times as well. Unless we receive help, others will lose the help that we might offer because it's just too heavy. That's what Jethro says. It's too heavy. It's too weighty. So even if we'd rather go it alone, the text is calling us to see that we need help. That God designed us to need help, to be a community that would help one another. We need, verse 22, someone to bear the burden with us to walk alongside us. We weren't meant to be this atomized individual people. Yes, we are individuals, but we were meant to be individuals in community. Otherwise, we wear out. It's not who we were meant to be. Charles Spurgeon used to have this illustration that he would either use physically or talked about in his sermons where a, a believer would come to him and talk about complaints about feeling like, I don't really need to be connected to the church. Why do I even need to come? Why do I need to be part of this community? And at least the story goes, he was sitting in front of a fire with him. And while the man was talking, he just used tongs, pulled out a coal, and just set it by itself. Didn't say anything kept listening to the man, and then after a while, when it had cooled down, he put it back into the fire, and the coal heated back up. He said, the same is true for us in our Christian life. When you try to go it alone, the fire dies out. You are not able to give the heat that you are meant to give, that you can only give together, but when we are together, even as individuals, then we are able to receive and to give what God would have for us. The big takeaway question then, and we'll talk about a little bit more in the application later, is where do you need help today? I can go first uh, and tell you that we need help here. I need help here at CTK. The elders, deacons, staff, and regular volunteers need help here. We will not truly help you. We will not truly be able to help others. We won't impact the community around us who may not know Jesus yet or even those who do, who are meant to come in and find support and friendship and Jesus most of all. We won't be able to do that if we are too stretched thin, if we are too worn out, if we don't have your unique gifts, energy, resources, and abilities. The work of showing and sharing Jesus is too heavy for me and the elders and the deacons and staff to do alone always. Unless we had 
16,000 people here ministering to 100 people, it's always going to be the case that we need more help. We need you like Moses needed the elders. And I do mean you. I don't mean the person sitting next to you. I don't mean the person in the balcony or the person in the back. I do mean you, that you have unique gifts and abilities. We'll talk about that in the application as well, that, that you have that you can share here. We need you to use the gifts that God has given you to help share the good news of just how loving, powerful, and gracious Jesus is amidst our own brokenness and the brokenness of our world. If we and you don't help together, we and others will go without. That's the clear implication of this text, that we cannot do what God calls us to do alone, and that is true of us as a church. We will not do what God has called us to do. We will not be who He has called us to be alone and unequipped and without enough resources to do it. We are meant to do this thing called church and the Christian life together. We need you. I want you to hear me saying that. We need you here. There are things that you can do. We need you to help. And part of the answer to our second point that we'll move into now of how we find help is that part of how we find help is with each other. We don't go it alone. We do actually listen to Jethro, and that's not going to happen overnight. The water that we swim in when we go outside these doors is do it your own way. Do it by yourself. No one is going to help you. Or if they do, they'll help you until they don't agree with you. It's going to be hard for us. This is not something I expect where we can just flip a light switch on and then we fix it. And all of a sudden, we're used to receiving and giving help. But, but we learn how to do what Moses learned how to do. We learn to receive and give help. And we do that, which is what's going to fill out most of our second point, through help from an outsider, through someone else who can see, someone who isn't struggling but who could bring help for the struggle. And we'll get into that a little more, but first I just want to say that, that if you don't like the idea of needing help, if that feels like, I don't want to be the person who's needy, I don't want to be the person who asks, I don't want to be the person who's seen as not sufficient in and of themselves. It feels weak, it feels shameful, or it just feels too slow. I don't want to wait on people. I don't want to do it their way, or I don't want to include them. I don't want to have to use their preferences and their, their means. I just want to do it my way. I want to do it fast. We need to remember that even Jesus asked for help with his ministry. And Jesus is God, Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is God and man, and he asks for help. From the very beginning, in his public ministry, he invited people, asked people, recruited people to help him with his ministry. Right away, he invites the 12 disciples. If you've ever looked at the Jesus Storybook uh, Bible, it talks about, one, how confusing that is because they seem like this bumbling band that keep getting things wrong, but, but he asks people to help. He later commissions 72 followers to go even farther out. Jesus has his own recognition that he can't do this on his own, that he didn't come here to do the mission of renewing and redeeming the whole world by himself. For all his divinity, as truly one of us, as truly human, he knew that human work requires help. 
and he even asks for help at the very end, not just at the beginning, but at the climactic test of his whole ministry at the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to go to the cross, where the full weight of what he is called to do is just starting to settle in on him in its full power for the first time, Matthew 26, verse 38, he asks three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, just to stay awake with him because he's feeling like the weight of what he's knowing that he is about to do, which is carry the sins of everyone through all time who would ever believe on him to the cross and put those sins to death by dying himself, the weight of that thing felt too heavy for Jesus to carry alone. The weight of that in his humanity felt too heavy to carry alone. Now, one theologian, Donald McLeod, helps us understand what Jesus was feeling, why that drives him to ask for help, because he says Jesus feared death that was coming because for him it was not sleep, as it becomes for us in faith, but the wages of sin. It was death with the sting, death unmodified and unmitigated, death as involving all that sin deserved. He alone would face it without covering, providing by his very dying the only covering for the world, but doing so totally exposed to God's abhorrence of sin. He would face death without God, without community, deprived of the one solace and one resource, McLeod says, which had always been there. He says the wonder of the love of Christ for his people is not that for their sake he faced death without fear, but that for their sake he faced it terrified of what it would mean for his life. It was under the weight of that terror, of that ministry that would entail terror and suffering for himself that Jesus asked for, needed these bumbling friends' help. He needed them to watch and pray with him, to pray for him, so that the temptation to just give up under all that wouldn't break him. See, in his true humanity, Jesus recognized his need for help in the face of an unbearable weight, of something that felt too heavy to carry alone, this heavy call of God the Father on his life to be this minister to us. And in that, Jesus shows us that even the greatest work of God in humanity invites the help of others. So how much more so for you and I? If Jesus' work needed support, how much more do you and I need support who are simply human, not God and human? It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to need support. It actually is the way we walk in Jesus' footsteps. We walk in the way of asking for others to help us. And yet despite Jesus knowing that that was the way that things were meant to be, despite his request for his friends to just stay awake with him, as another theologian puts it, there was no one to bear the burden with him. He was alone. No one was able to face down sin in the end with him. His friends weren't able to help him. And so even though he had asked for this, he goes to the cross alone, 
crushed under the heavy weight of saving us so that even if he might have to go it alone, we would never have to go it alone. Because in his, in his death and resurrection, he not only sets us free from sin and death, for the things that we need help for, he not only provides us help for the things that we couldn't help with, he gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit. That's one of the ways that Scripture describes him. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to be God's own spirit alive in us, in our lives, as our help, to be what we turn to, what we call on for help in our lives. This is ultimately where we find help for what's too heavy, not by going it alone in our own humanity, but by turning to the divinity that is God's grace and His Holy Spirit in power, moving in us, alive in us, real in us, the same Spirit that Scripture says raised Jesus from the dead, that has resurrection power, has power to help you now in the thousand lesser deaths that we face any day. We ultimately find help for the heavy call of God in our lives to be salt and light, to be messengers, to be medics in the world around us through the help of an outsider. God stepping into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Someone who could not only see the problem, which was sin and our separation from God. That's what sin is. It's our great attempt to go it alone our great attempt to find flourishing and peace on our own, to have it our way under our terms and circumstances, Jesus sees that that is too heavy for us. We were not designed to do that. You're going to break the machine if you use it that way. But he couldn't just see the problem and tell us about it and walk away. That wouldn't save us. He came to be our help for the problem. to do the work for us and in us and to remain with us forever through His Holy Spirit. See, our help for the call of God is ultimately God. He doesn't send us out to do things without actually equipping us. He calls you to do it. He gives you what you need to do that. And that doesn't usually look the way we think it's going to look. Success in God's kingdom often looks like weakness and getting yourself beat up. It looks like things not going well. It looks like things breaking down. That was Jesus' life at the end. That was success. His greatest triumph was being slaughtered in front of people. Success doesn't look the way we think it's going to look, but God is always our help, even if things don't go the way that we expect them to go in living out His call in our lives because he is so committed to you and I that he would not just die for you and leave you alone, but that he would live with you always. His commitment was that you not live alone. He designed humanity to live in relationship with him. We lost that in the Garden of Eden. We get that back after the Garden of Gethsemane, that God always dwells with you. And so by way of application here to come to a close, I want to encourage us to do two things to push back on this going alone lifestyle. I want to encourage you to ask and to receive. To ask yourself first, where has God given you some gifts that you might be able to put to use here? Ask 
me, ask the elders, ask our, our deacons. Elders and deacons, raise your hands. Ask these folks, where can you help? Staff, raise your hands. There's fewer of us. It's easier to find us. Ask where can you help? There are lots of ways that we need help right now. Our community groups need more leaders. Our youth group needs more teachers, mentors. Our welcome team needs more people to help so that we can't just greet you on the way in, but that we find you and we connect with you here. Our children's ministry needs more help in so many different ways. Our music team, our diaconate, our meals, our men's and women's groups. There are so many ways that we could be doing more or need help with what we are doing. Ask about them. And you might not be thinking you have too much to offer, you're not going to be here for too much longer, you don't have too much time right now, but each of you has important things to offer. Uh, Patrick Lencioni has a book, Six Types of Working Genius. He explains that there are six things that any of us need to get something done, that, that a work process goes through these six stages or geniuses, as he calls them. And he says there are two that each of us are good at and enjoy. There are two that we're okay at but don't really love, and there are two, if you have to do them all the time, they drive you nuts, and you hate doing them, and you wear out. I'm going to let you figure out what the six types are. You have to go and actually read the book or go on the website, do that with your community group. It's easy to read. I would actually encourage you, think about doing this between now and the end of the year. It's illuminating. It was illuminating for me. But that 2-2-2 split means that none of us have all the things we need to get something done without burning out in ourselves. So we all have gifts to share, and each of us needs each other's help. There are different things that you're going to be good at that I'm not as good at. There are going to be things that are life-giving to you that are draining to me, and vice versa. We need each other here. It's not a matter of shame or indignity. It is a matter of balance that we receive help. Your gifts are important. Without them, we are out of balance. So I want to encourage you, ask what your gifts are. Go look at that book. Look at his website. Think about how you could put your gifts to use here. So let's ask, but secondly, receive. Like Moses, like Lencioni explains, we need to not just give help, we need to receive it. So where do you need to receive help? Where are you trying to go it alone right now? If you're not sure, it's probably showing up in some of those three things that we talked about, anxiety, depression, anger. I'm not saying that in a reductionistic way. Those things are bigger than that, but they could be indicators of ways that you are trying to go it alone. Do you always feel angry about something that probably is having an outsized reaction in you? You're too angry about the dishes not being put in the dishwasher a certain way. You're too angry about the tea going so slowly. You're too angry about ministry not looking the way here that you would like it to look. Or you're anxious because you feel like it has to look a certain way. You're deeply sad because it doesn't look a certain way. Where are you trying to go it alone and say that it actually doesn't depend on God, it depends on me. And if I don't do this, everything is done. I won't be who I need to be to have his acceptance. I won't be who I need to be for us to do what we're called to do here. Where are you trying to go it alone that you don't know you're trying to go it alone? Ask somebody who knows you well. Ask somebody you're in conflict with. They might be able to tell you more clearly. But you're not meant to go alone. 
Jesus came to make sure you don't have to go it alone. He is not sitting in heaven at the right hand of God going, why can't they just do it? That is not Jesus. We feel that way. Jesus is not a boss. He's not some distant ruler. He is a friend. He came to make sure that you would not have to go it alone. Why are you trying to do, even in the name of Jesus, what Jesus came to save you from doing, which is going it alone? We can't baptize the very thing that he came to get rid of and say, I'm doing it in your name. Receive his help. Maybe do that for the first time by putting faith in him. Maybe coming back to him if you've walked away from him. Receive his help by letting others in. By letting others have input. Letting them play a part. Letting their gifts be on display. Receive his help by giving him things that you can't and won't control. Receive his help through the Holy Spirit who does not depend on you to be able, willing, or ready to receive help. He just gives it. Receive his help because in him you do not have to go it alone. Let's pray. I'd like to leave a little time here to talk to God in your hearts about some of the things we've talked about this morning to maybe thank him that you don't have to go it alone. Or confess the ways that, if you're honest, you'd prefer to. Maybe ask him to help you know how to give and receive help, what the needs are, where you can give, where, where your needs are. Let's talk to him in prayer. God, we pray that by your grace you would hear these prayers and answer. We know that you love to help and that you do not leave us alone. So come now. Be in our presence. Help us. Help us to receive your help. In your name we pray. Amen.